I was thinking about what I find compelling in people, what I find attractive in people. Openness, honesty, you know, people just trying to do the best to change and, and I think ultimately grow and, be, you know, just be better, you know, whether it's a career or a skill or just their actual character. I think what I, I'm repelled by people who refuse to live without their mask on out of fear, fear of vulnerability, you know, those that that need to posture and peacock and be someone or some idea instead of putting in actual work to be those things. And I have to admit quite a large number of people that I considered friends fit into the latter. The road splits and we diverge onto our own paths. You know, when I came to New York, I had so much ambition and vigor uh, and then I moved to L.A. for a little bit, and then I came back, and I thought I was supercharged. It's like, okay, lesson learned. I'm, you know, now I'm, I'm really, really focused on my career, and you know, I'm gonna be, a, I'm gonna be a filmmaker. I'm gonna be a writer. I'm gonna be an actor, and I'm gonna be really important. And those were I had focused on those things, but I didn't really think about self care and. You know, when you are striving to do something and you're not reaching your the goals that you want, there's that inertia of, okay, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and keep going, keep pushing. And sometimes you reach those little pinnacles and they're not what you want them to be. You know, Riddick Bowe, um, former world heavyweight champion, uh, he said when he became when he became the champion, he, he didn't know what to do with himself. I, I never reached those uh, those lofty heights, but the accolades that I did get, you know, it it was exhausting, and I did give it, it enabled me to reflect a little bit. And so here I am now, uh, March two thousand seventeen, and I've come to peace with you know some of the dreams that I had. I probably won't achieve them. And that's okay. I, I, it's really okay with me. I actually don't want most of those dreams now. I'm not the same person, so why should I have the same dreams? But I'm glad I had them. I'm glad that all the twists and turns and mistakes and U-turns I've taken, and I'm sure I'll make some more mistakes and twists and turns and U-turns. You know, all those things created someone I'm very proud of. I take stock in that. I take stock in, in the decisions I've made and and good friends and family. I'm not really defined by uh, career or achievements as much as I am defined by my output and my character now. You know, the younger version of me never really understood what it meant to, to love and be loved. And for those that wear the mask... If they ever wanted to remove it and stare in the mirror, if they ever had to do any true self-introspection, maybe they would discover who they really are rather than who they're pretending to be. That takes work. My guest today is Laura Saget, 
uh, Laura is a visual artist who concentrates on the human body. She's also a yoga teacher. And I think you'll find out from this conversation uh, something that I already knew but really uh, re reaffirmed um, for myself. She is empathic. She is super funny. Uh, she's got such an open mind and such an open heart. And for those things, I find her incredibly inspiring and courageous. Well, so anyway, uh, I'm going to shut up for now. Uh, welcome to the Vanotron Curious World Podcast, episode 109, the lovely, the amazing Laura Saget. You can find her at laurasaget.com and sit back, relax, adjust your earbuds, or if you're driving around, crank up to volume 10 and on with the show. You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. You're listening to Vandal Tron's Curious World Podcast. Check it out, baby. should be expressing yourself and if expressing yourself via the visual language comes most naturally that's what you should do but I always had a very specific approach and angle and it's kind of bizarre because what I wanted to make when I was 16 is kind of similar to what I want to make today like when I was 17 I made an installation that was like full of bubble machines so it was about like what is the point of life and the meaning of life and I made these like monsters I drew and painted them now I mostly just sculpt but I wanted all of these bubbles to just pop and so the underlying message was like we get so attached to these things and these ideas of ourself and our ideas of the world and at the end of the day like the bubble always pops so like attachment to anything you know so how was this displayed was this it was uh, during my senior year in high school. <laughs> it was displayed in like this gallery space and I made all of these circles like these. It was basically like a dual image thing. So I made like a monster that was also like a little girl and like, you know, just our different ways of seeing everything. And then I just had these bubbles coming out of this bubble. I don't know if they still have them. This bubble machine I found. And I just... Well, it kind of like makes bubble, like like as if like one of those things that you would dip in like uh, exactly. detergent or whatever and and like the bubbles would come out. I think so. Yeah. It's yeah. like a thing. Like, yeah. So it's like the air, it's just on a perpetual loop. And so it just makes bubbles. So how was that perceived by your uh, peers, your high school Some peers? people got it. Some people didn't. <laughs> and were they, so what were they, what were they thinking like? I mean, I would imagine in high school, no matter how liberal the high school, was it like a performing arts high school or? It was like, like 
liberal arts? Or? Liberal arts. Yeah, like I got to be an art history major in high school and concentrate in visual art, which is like very unusual. But it was like a liberal Los Angeles vibe, so you can be whatever you want to be kind of no, thing. No, no grades? Is that kind of... Um, we did have grades by high school, but in middle school it was pass-fail, I guess, because like we weren't ready to be graded. What city is this? Los Angeles. Oh, like... like... Like yeah. Santa Monica area? Yeah, like Santa Mo- wow. in Santa Monica. Oh, wow. You grew up in Santa Monica? Yeah. Well, wow. like, I moved around, but, like, yeah, west side, Los Angeles. Okay. I, li- I think I may have told you. So maybe we discussed this. So I lived there for, this is like, maybe seven seven years ago. I lived in, well, I lived in Venice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was just like, when I first got there, I was just like, oh, cool, that dude's playing drums. That guy's on stilts. And then... About a week later, I'm like, oh, they, this is what they do. <laughs> they do there. This yeah. is normal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I moved around a bunch, but I never lived in Venice. I lived in, like, Santa Monica, near Malibu, and yeah. But why? how did you pick um, a visual, that, that type of medium where, I mean, I think, you know, when I was, you know, I, I guess, you know, what I was a teenager and self-indulgent I I wanted you know my medium amazing my medium mainly because of what I was exposed to it was just kind of like writing and and you know filmmaking um, were you exposed to kind of abstract art modern art not really I mean just via school but I mean my family like we didn't really grow up going to galleries and museums it was like I had to find it on my own I grew up like around the entertainment industry more so and so a lot of people I was around writers like in yeah in that kind of field but the visual art thing I had to kind of seek it out but luckily my older sister had similar interests and she's a painter you're middle I'm in the middle wow yeah, I have an older sister and a younger sister, and all three of us are artists. So, <laughs> Did it ever get competitive? No, huh. which is weird. It probably, like, in any other family would, but no. And everybody, all. everybody's kind of the same type of medium? No. Well, you said you have a painter, and um, I guess uh, Aubrey's a painter, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah my... Same same style, or? She... Um... No, she like does more, she's obsessed with like interior spaces, but it's funny because we do have a similar aesthetic and we curate shows together and both of us, we like similar things, but she paints like your lamp or like these like strange moments that we don't normally pay attention to. Like she does small scale oil paintings of, of like her bed, of her sink, of lamps, which like comes from the trajectory or the history of still life but at the same time she's been using these screenshots from home videos and from videos like online footage that she finds and then she appropriates it by painting it in oil painting um (laughs) so she's more into like interiors and personal space and i'm more obsessed with like the body and I guess that interior space. Yeah. Um, so for for people that weren't able to see uh, the installation that you have in Brooklyn, is it still up or? It's down. I have another show up though at eighty Washington Square East, um, and I have. Like, is it similar? Or? 
Yeah, it's similar. It's like I've been making these installations um, in conversation with the architecture, but again, even like that's the same thing I've been obsessed with since I was a kid. These things that you don't expect to happen. So like I've been making these like weird oozy puddles that are coming out of the floor, out of the walls. So you don't know, you don't know what the stuff is and it's kind of gross, but then kind of beautiful. <laughs> how, how do you convince the, um, whether it's the curator or the, the, the manager of the space to say, hey, look, I have an idea. Now it's going to be kind of weird, but just <laughs> just hang with me. I mean, right? So that it must be kind of like, I mean, I guess it depends on each space and it depends on your relationship with them, I imagine. I think the craziest thing I ever did in terms of convincing a space was I went to Corcoran Real Estate and I wanted to do an installation in a $16 million penthouse apartment on the Upper West Side. But I wanted to like curate it and do video projections and all of these things and have my sculptures inside of it and <laughs> my friend and I did it based on like the Chinese we like did it to celebrate the Chinese New Year but it was called five seven so about like the five elements and then your organs but we went to this meeting at Corcoran and I was like I have this idea I want to take over the whole penthouse. <laughs> and Corcoran was like, yeah, sure. Yeah. What else? <laughs> I talked to him into it because I was like, we'll sell the apartment because we'll get a lot of foot traffic. You know? But then, of course, like I had, I made a beating heart. The motor overheats. And I'm like, your floor will be fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, it didn't, it didn't compromise the actual structure or anything like that, right? It was okay. It almost did. You did it. it. Yeah, I did it. Oh. I convinced them. Wow. And then we sold the apartment. So you you must have had to show them like the the, the profitability and the back end. So what was what was the alert? So how did you win them over? I basically said I'll get a bunch of people there and we'll get press and people will come to your new building. Wow. <laughs> I had never done anything like that before. It was like. You know, pitching to a boardroom, which was my first time at a PowerPoint presentation, but I didn't know if it was going to work. Did you have, like, the slides? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> the pointer? The pointer. Wow. And I, yeah, I carried the whole thing. We had, like, five video installations in the space, and I had, like, a bunch of sculptures, and we had some paintings, but... Basically, like, and then I did another one at Yoga to the People, actually, um, at their St. Mark's location, where this was kind of um, crazy, because it was only for one night, and I made, like, all of these, like, bodies, like, life-size bodies, and I filled up, did I do two or three of the floors um, with, I did, like, a vertebra that moves on a motor and a beating heart and a glow-in-the-dark nervous system and then all of these like life-size bodies and put them <laughs> inside of the space where i mean where were they what were they made out of clay latex rubber <laughs> phosphorescence so could people motors. get around it or was yeah it... yeah you walked around it but it was like a body lying on the floor and you didn't quite know why or what it was <laughs> 
I I guess there's crazy people who think that it's worth it. <laughs> what was the reaction? It was good. I mean, I only had that up for a night, but it was it's really my favorite thing is to see people walking around a space and not really knowing exactly how to engage with it because it's unfamiliar and it's kind of uncomfortable. Like you're looking at a body and you recognize that it's not a body and then it makes you think about what is your body and all of that. Mm -hmm. So some people get it, some people don't. And I think that's like the main thing with anything that you do is it's like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But <laughs> for you, like, you know, like not taking it personally and recognizing the fact that everybody has their own experience and way of seeing the world and not everybody so, can connect. So um, what do you think of like modern art, like the MoMA or like Tate or something? Is that something that you still, that still influences you or like how do you draw Some your show, Like I love the... Pacabia show at the MoMA that's I think coming down like today or something like yeah I mean there's certain artists who I admire a lot the thing about these big museums is a like they're pretty much male dominated mm. and white dominated you know which like slow changes happen little by little I guess but it's it's sad how a little how little progress we've made. Although, I went to the Whitney Biennial yesterday, and I normally can't really handle the Whitney Biennials. They happen every two years, you know? And, like, in the past, I've just felt like it was so trendy and, like, all these young artists. Like, right, posturing, you know, right? Yeah. yeah that's what I feel like. And, like, all condensed, like, kind of overhung and overwhelming and overstimulating. I'm, like, right. I'm too sensitive sometimes to deal with that. <laughs> but I went yesterday, and I think it was, I mean, granted, I've only been in New York for, like, nine years. So I've only seen however many that is, five, four or five. But, like, I, um, I really liked how it was curated. And also, finally, it was, like, more, like, black artists like older artists like well one of my mentors and professors John Kessler has work in it and then Lyle Ashton Harris who is amazing um is one of my teachers now at NYU um where I'm at grad school but I really I liked that you know it's like nice when a major museum does something that feels like of the time and yeah have you been to Storm King yeah uh. I love Storm King it's, I mean, aside from this, the, the works of art, it's just amazing how you can have this fusion of art in nature. And, um, yeah, it's so peaceful and, and stimulating at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's something in the future I would love to... I mean, my, like, Megan's... It's, like, Louise Bourgeois. I'm, like, obsessed with her. And what's cool, though, is she wasn't able to make a like a lot any of these larger things until later in her life because she didn't have the money you know like making sculptures is not easy <laughs> it's expensive and unless you have like invest you know people yeah um, you. so how does technology uh um influence you know what you do because like a lot of your work is very um very ethereal and very um you know the of, of at least the way i interpret it of the of the mind and, and, and the melding of the mind and the heart. I mean, with today, you know, with technology and everything and, 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 and marketing, 
because of technology? Like, how does that influence the way you work? Yeah, good photographs. And I'm not good at taking photographs of my own work, so I have to have somebody else do it. And then also, like, video documentation. But I'm not great at social media, and I need to get better because it's just not my thing. And I'm, like, little progress. I finally learned how to make a story the other day, which was big on Instagram. <laughs> <Make a> <laughs> I was really excited about that. 12 year old, 12 year olds everywhere are like, oh God, you guys are so dumb. <laughs> I was like, wait, I press a button, I can do this, I can do it. So boomerang is like when I hold it down. Yeah, exactly. No, like I need like 12 year olds to help me. Like, Wouldn't that be great if we had like a staff of like 12 year olds? <laughs> we should hire 12 year olds. But not 13, because like you have to like deploy them. Okay, you're done at 13. Like, I don't have anything to do with you. Yeah, yeah. That's when the teenage stuff all starts. <laughs> so in all your travels, um, what what have you gained from that in terms of like your, your like your art? Yeah. I think the craziest, well, I went on this insane trip, must have been two years ago, and it really affected my practice. I went, I decided to go in two weeks from Paris to Morocco to Spain to Istanbul um, and then I went to Warsaw to do a nonverbal communication art workshop with Gregor Kowalski and Paul Althamer. Um, basically, like, living in a castle in Warsaw and not talking for a month during the day. You could talk at night, but you were very tired, usually. Um, <laughs> so what would you do during the day? Use your body to communicate. So you're okay. basically supposed to be in this black box, like a black box theater. Mm -hmm. And... Three hours in the morning, you would just use your body. Um, it was like a combo of like yoga, like Tai Chi, like I don't really know what it was. It was like a very different mix of things, but it was basically constant movement for three hours. And then after that, we would stage something on the spot. So it was like, you know, like improvised movement without talking. And the program or the workshop, it was a third u.s students a third polish students and a third international students and honestly like going to all of those places in such a condensed period of time and i went with my sister and being a woman was like very challenging like i wouldn't go to morocco without a man ever again or like istanbul was easier but we just got hollered at like crazy and we wore like head-to-toe covering by the end because it was too uncomfortable Wow. You know, and so I feel like growing up in California, moving to New York, like my version of myself in relationship to everybody around me was like, I mean, now the whole presidency, it's even crazier, but like going all those places and then doing that workshop, I was like, whoa, being like a woman, being a woman artist, being a woman, like in this world, it's an intense thing. And how do you make work that speaks to that? But isn't like, so when we did the workshop, it was incredibly sexist. Like they just kind of wanted the women to like take their clothes off and roll around. <laughs> you know? That sounds awesome. <laughs> what about the guys? <laughs> the guys were they just pulled to out their like phones? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, this is what, this is what we're supposed to be doing. No. And also, like, holding red symbols was, like, an intense part of it, because... Uh, so, the the the, um, the upper echelons were, were all men? 
yep. of, of the people kind of pulling the strings and yep exactly exactly so I feel like that month of my life or two months of my life made me think about my practice so differently and like feminism I mean obviously like the definition of feminism is constantly like there's a million and one definitions of it but it's all so prevalent mm -hmm. and we think like we've made all this progress sometimes I mean now <laughs> now, most people, now we recognize how little we've made but like it was really an intense experience for me to be like I think that like a lot of things are obvious and that I can like use my body and my work and it's not always sexualized and I was like this is a thing like this is a thing that I'm dealing with and that I have to keep confronting and since then or close to then it's been hard for me to do performance work uh so do you think that um uh in uh, i guess modern art progressive art it, there there's still that stigma of it's uh it's a kind of a male dominated uh front yep white male dominated you know Uh, so how, how do you think that, I mean, how do you, I mean, in 2017, I, I mean, how do you think, how do you think audiences can, can, can find new other, like other voices and other lenses for, for art? I think if the gatekeepers are, are all, you know, uh, one singular group. Yeah. I mean, call attention to it. And there, I mean, there has been progress somewhat, you know, for sure. Like, if we think about how, what things were like 30 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever, like it's getting better. But I think just keep putting yourself out there and try to say what you care about saying for everybody. But I don't, I don't know. Do you think, uh, well, what do you think of the, the general audiences of, you know, somebody, like when you make art, do you have, do you have somebody in mind? It's a really sticky thing because, yeah, I have in mind, like, I don't want to make art for people who have, like, they don't, I don't want people to have to have an art historical background to feel something or get something from anything that I make. But at the same time, I feel like, not that many people go see shows, you know? It's like, it is a very specific subset of the population, and especially, like, in cosmopolitan cities, whatever. It's like, it's people with, like, time and, like, you know, not always money, but it's like, some people are uncomfortable to go see shows and to go, you know, support that. Like, it feels like, I don't know what this is, some hoity-toity intellectual thing, you know? Like... Have you ever felt like, uh, because like, you, you know, there, there's certain people that, that go to, um, shows or exhibits that, that maybe you feel that from, from those audiences or, or curators or whoever, that maybe there's a pressure to box you in because, because you're a woman and because you're a woman, maybe your output should be whatever their checklist is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But I think it also depends on where you install, like what the space is, you know? And like, 
I mean, we started that collective where we do exhibitions coupled with meditation workshops or different workshops where it's like, it's not just a space for art. It's a space for all of these things for everybody to, for movement, for conversation, for all of it. And I think that that changes the dynamic somewhat. Mm-hmm. But I also, yeah, I don't know. It depends on where. It depends on <laughs> so many factors. Um, you know, you you brought up uh, you know the the significance of of you know being a woman, being a woman in two thousand seventeen. Um, which I'm 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 very happy that you're a woman, by the way. I'm very, <laughs> very very excited. Um, but how like when you see other artists that are women do you find that there's pressure on them to do things a certain way because of this kind of like this stigma or 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 maybe a low a lower ceiling because of because that they're a female artist i mean the bottom line is female artists sell for less than male artists I mean, like, same way women get paid less than men generally. It's like we literally make less money for something that, like, a man would make more money for. And it's just kind of part of the landscape, which people acknowledge. And I think, I mean, obviously, there's room for change, but it's it's kind of scary. <laughs> Honestly, for me, it was like I did one performance. Um where, well, one one performance that made me need to take a break from performing, where I wore, like, a bodysuit and unraveled rope from my body over the course of, like, 45 minutes or something. And it was about, like, constant move. It was about, A, like, the spiral in the bone. So how there's, like, a spiral inside of the bone. Bone, like, isn't hard. It isn't rigid. Like, it's viscous and fluid. And there's, like, a, a matrix inside of your bone, which changes. It changes shape. It changes density. So everything is always moving internally and then we're always moving externally. So it was like about how you can tie yourself up sometimes with this constant movement mm -hmm. instead of just taking a break and noticing that everything's already moving internally. Anyways, but So I unraveled the rope from my body over the course of 45 minutes wearing this like unitard thing and it became very sexualized. Granted, I did it in Bushwick, and I thought it would be a great idea to do it on the sidewalk, so that I, it was like it with this performance, like, group thing, so it was like a night of performances inside the space, but I wanted to do it on the sidewalk so that I could, like... <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? It's a great idea. <laughs> Friday night, right near the bar. <laughs> Like, in the middle of the street, nobody knows what I'm doing. I thought it was awesome. Like, it would really confuse people and make them, yeah. But anyways, my body just became like, like, I was harassed on the sidewalk. And that is not what I planned for. Like, I thought about it, but I, there's no way to emotionally prepare for that. You know, it's like, so many if you think about, like, obviously Marina Abramovich, but, like, Yoko, like, it's a mental thing that you have to train yourself and prep yourself for being, like, I'm going to be a woman on display. Like, when Yoko did that cut-out piece, she did this piece where she let 
people cut off her clothes, mm -hmm. like with scissors, you know, until, until who knows, and they could have hurt her. So it's like, I feel well, like that's a way to subvert it. Well, Yoko now, if you're familiar with what she does now, yeah. she does like these GoFundMe things where like you, like we could go to her exhibit and we just kind of like interact with like the art that she just displays for us. Like she'll have like a bunch of crayons. I'm like, yeah, okay, we make whatever you want. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel, um, generally at night in New York, do you feel safe? Yes, but I don't take the subway late at night anymore. I like got chased on the subway platform like when I would take it late at night when I was in my early 20s. I don't know. Like, you know, I I feel like you actually still have to be careful. I mean, it is something that I, um, I mean, I do, I, I take for granted. I mean, I, I guess I just, sometimes I forget, you know, as, you know, as a, as a guy, I, I can walk home at like two in the morning and I don't really think about it and you know and I think the way New York is now currently I suppose in most places like women can do that because most places are pretty heavily populated because it comes to the city but I think about that a lot like you know if um, you know if my girlfriend's out late at night or coming home late like how does she feel you know does she feel like is she on like you know like okay like any guy that like is even in my periphery I have to be ready because as a guy we don't think about those things yeah like yeah <clears throat> or even the, the flip side if I'm like you know drinking at a bar or at a cafe by myself chances are nobody's gonna fuck with me but like I've seen so many women who just happen to be alone and a guy for whatever reason needs to occupy her space yeah and it's crazy also because it's different depending on what city you're in like I felt less comfortable grant like I lived in Paris for a year and I in the neighborhood I was living which was like reasonably safe but I I wouldn't walk home alone late at night like I almost got followed into my building like it was one of those like almost scary moments where I had to shut the gate, like the outside gate. And the guy with the beret and the pencil mustache on you. <laughs> like shut it in his face. <laughs> it was really, it was like really late. But yeah, I think you you do have to be aware. <laughs> like, how do you think New York is uh, going to look? You know, as we move forward, because you know, there's the whole stigma of. Um, gentrification and pushes everybody down you know f people from the lower east side then went to brooklyn and people in brooklyn are getting pushed out even further into brooklyn or even yeah. long island city or, or elsewhere um where do you think you know the, where do you think everything is is moving toward i feel like things are like cyclical you know and so the second that we think like how could it possibly get any <laughs> crazier when the L train stops it'll bring everybody back yeah <laughs> right like you never know all that stuff like chaos theory or whatever like I'm kind of obsessed with those ideas of like it's patterns and it's all patterns that we can kind of predict somewhat but a lot of times we're really wrong <laughs> you know and so I feel like maybe Maybe some crash will happen. Who knows? 
But I don't know how much higher rent can get. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it can get higher. It can get higher, but like, I read some article recently that was like, I think it's starting to, what did they say? That like, they predicted next year it would like reach an all time low of the past, like not the past like four years or something. Wait, it's going to reach a low? Yeah, that it's going to lower. Based on what? Because we all ran out of money? Yeah, (laughs) I didn't really understand it. (laughs) I don't know. Have you ever um, done uh, an installation in in Los Angeles? Yeah, well, not an I've had work shown in Los Angeles. Um, Yeah, in different spaces. Is it weird that I said Los Angeles? I say Los Angeles. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Does it bother you when people say Cali? Yeah. That annoys also, the shit. I mean, I'm not from California, but like, I don't know. That sounds so weird to me. Like, when people say that, I hate, like, I very few things annoy me in the world. That really... That like, really annoys yeah. me, too. Also, I wouldn't say LA for a while because I feel like I sometimes have an LA accent that comes out like when I say the word LA. <laughs> What's the LA accent? It's like LA. Like it kind of sounds like you have dental oh. surgery a little bit. <laughs> it just, you don't sound intelligent. <laughs> it's like the upspeak? Is that yeah. Right? And like all the words kind of blend together. Yeah. Like, Everything sounds like a question. Uh huh. Yep. <laughs> Not but you said you so you, you had some work shown. Yeah, I had some work recently at this. Um, it's called Studio One O Six, and one of my former. I used to work at Barnard College um, in their art department, art history department, and one of my students curated a show out there, and so she put my work in it, which is nice. Wow, it's yeah, it's amazing to like teach and then. You know, the people you teach end up like... <laughs> so you teach you teach is. art? Yeah. Yes. Well, you're on all kinds of teacher. <laughs> so so you were mentioning the, the you know, your concepts of, of, you know, how the body works and that was kind of like the basis of, of your art. Um, is that what led you to yoga as well? Or was it the other way around? So I started doing yoga when I was four. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So my mom actually started doing yoga when she was pregnant with me. Um, And then when I was like four is just the earliest I can remember actually having any ability to consciously move. So you were like, (laughs) you were in elementary school doing like Lotus yeah yeah I mean all my sisters and my mom like before it was trendy my mom would have all these ladies over and like they would have yoga classes in her room and we'd have like I don't know sessions with all these people they would come over it was really cool so I've been doing it since I can remember and then I started I wanted to teach when I was in college Um, I recognized the fact that I love teaching, and I love yoga, so... <laughs> so, has, um, has the practice itself progressed over the over years? I mean, how, I mean, there's certain... I, I know there's, there's standardized moves that you have to do, but, I mean, have there, has there been, like, addition and subtraction? Yeah, so, 
It's funny because I feel like when I was a teenager, I loved like power, only power yoga, only hot yoga. Like I went through a phase where I did hot yoga like every single day, like 90 minutes for like two years in a row. And it was like, this is my practice, you know, but it was very physical and not as like spiritual. I think I learned more than anything I'm working with Amy Matthews over at The Breathing Project. And I've studied with her, I guess, for like four years or something. It's amazing. The Breathing Project is on like 26th Street in between like 5th and Broadway or something. And it's just a different approach to understanding the body and to like embodying an anatomy, which is something that, you know, in a lot of yoga classes, it's like, do this with your muscle, do this with, you know, it's very muscle oriented. And I feel like Culturally, we're very muscle oriented or like doing You can quantify oriented. that, right? Yeah. I, I lift this, I, I'm, I'm using this muscle, okay, I get it. I get it, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like more superficial understanding and it's clear and it's to the point. Right. But her teaching style, so we do like a year on the bones, basically like learning about what all of the bones are, just so you can learn about all of your options. And like I was saying before, like bone changes shape depending upon how you distribute your weight. So we really largely... So like know, osteoporosis, like people are actually shrinking? It's like, it's density, right? So it's like movement patterns, like any other pattern. Like your patterns, they build your experience. So like bunions, for example, are just a product of putting more, bearing more weight into like a specific part of your I foot. I mean, when, when people complain about like um, Grandma Sally, oh, she's she's shrinking. That That's actually true, right? Yeah... Yeah, I mean, shrinking, because it's all how we hold ourselves, you know? So if you're always hunched over, over time it's going to be harder to be upright. Osteoporosis is like a meta, like, yeah, like it does happen, but we do have the ability to control, like we can get rid of bunions over time, over just slowly, slowly repatterning. I mean, once like, you're so old that you don't even know <laughs> what's what and you've gotten so rigid or used to your ways it's a lot harder uh, that's when you get cocaine <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you do you follow a lot of eastern medicine or western medicine like if you both i like both i like western medicine i have like yeah i had some good i had a staph infection that almost killed me in western medicine like Save my life and like all these things. So I appreciate Western <laughs> medicine. <laughs> I really oh, do. Fuck these herbs. I, like, I well, I actually had to do this thing. I like totally. My system was really messed up. I like had to take. I forget what the antibiotic is called, but it's an antibiotic of last resort. Basically, my whole system was like depleted. I was very close to dying from something, and. <laughs> Then I had to rebuild my immune system because I was like chronically tired and like didn't know what was wrong with me. And that, I mean, Western mental illness, me mental health that I have problems with, but like, you know, because they would probably have just like been like, oh, you're like depressed or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, because I can't move because I'm so tired. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Um, but I did this thing where like I acupuncture and Chinese herbs and all of that. And like only eating specific things for like years and was able to get my immunity back. Which is cool. Wow. Um, did you get that from traveling or? Um, 
It's happened to me a couple times. I got stung by a Portuguese man of war. Wow. Um, <laughs> Felt like we should have started the show with that. <laughs> Were you like in the restaurant and you just stuck your hand in the aquarium like, I'm eating this. I was parasailing in Spain. <laughs> wow. I didn't, I didn't even see one. Did you see it before it hit you? It was so scary. So I was parasailing and I wasn't supposed to go in the water because it's like, you're not supposed to go in the water. But I was like, the water's so warm. I'm like, what can go that wrong? What could go wrong? <laughs> I feel like that's the theme here. Like, like doing an installation on the street. And like, what could go wrong? It's going to be fine. I'll learn a lot. <laughs> so it's, it's, I imagine, like, how does this sting? Is it like wrap around your like arm or? They have 20-yard tentacles, and wow. they wrap their 20-yard tentacles around your body. The thing that hurts is the body of the thing, which is like a plastic bag, and when that hits you, you feel like you got... I thought I was bit by a shark. Wow. And then the tentacles wrap themselves around my arms and my legs, whatever. I, like, somehow got free and got back onto the boat. Is it tight? Like when it, the tentacles, I mean, does it feel like a, I mean, does it feel like a garden hose or? Yeah. Like I had to like break free. Like they can kill you. Wow. Um, but the tentacles, they leave these marks on your arms and your legs. It only lasts four to six weeks, but the body of it was what, and you can be fine. Like it can go away, but mine got infected, obviously. So like. So it's, is it constantly stinging you while it's like, like wrapping itself around you? It's like stinging, like, uh. Wow. Yeah, and the tentacles don't hurt that bad, but it's the body of the thing that is so excruciatingly painful. It's like another level. It's worse than like a normal jellyfish. Like there's so you you got on the boat, you like peeled this this <laughs> jellyfish off, and was it like welting and mm-hmm. you bleeding and I wasn't bleeding, and I thought I'd be fine, but I wasn't. So then I like went to like where did I go? Like London, and then I went to Florida for a wedding, and by the time I got to Florida, I don't know, the heat or something, like, it got so inflamed that I couldn't move my arm, and then I had to go to the ER. (laughs) Wow. And they were like, I'm just gonna, this is shut in the dark, but did you have any encounters with a man of war? (laughs) Wait, no, this is a joke. Oh, so I went from Florida back to New York, which I probably shouldn't have done, because you're not supposed to fly when it's that bad, but I get to New York, and it's the dead winter. It's in December. And the guy was like, were you swimming in the Hudson? (laughs) (laughs) And then they reported it to the Bureau of Portuguese Manors. It was like the fifth reported case all year in December. It clearly doesn't happen that much in the States. (laughs) Why why would they call them? I don't know. I think they just thought it was crazy. (laughs) Oh, Hey, hey, where do you get a load of this? (laughs) Like, this girl just showed up. (laughs) Stings. I remember swimming in the beach with my, uh, we, me and my brother were really young, and uh, this is on the East Coast, so there was like tons of jellyfish, and I remember I came up from the water, and I felt like, because there was a lot of waves, and I thought that maybe I just like hit it really hard, because my whole body was stinging, and then uh, my brother's just like laughing at me, like, fuck you, man, what's so funny? And then uh, I turn around and this to this other family's with us and this little girl says, you've got a jellyfish on your face. No. And I went, what? And I could like, when I must have made like a different, like a facial tick or something and I could feel like my face was getting hot and then it went like, and it went, it was like right below my eye and it covered, 
It was basically, I looked like fan of the opera, but like over, and so then it started moving on top of my eye. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? My brother's just laughing and he's like, I got a stick. I'm like, you're not going to hit me with a stick. And then so then he starts chasing me on the beach with a stick and I've got this jellyfish on my face. No! And then eventually I just, I go in the water and I like gently like pull it off, but then it swells up and it looks like I just got punched in the face. And I'm just like, what am I supposed to do? My brother's like, I think I'm supposed to pee in your face, man. <laughs> Does the pee thing work? I feel like I, I, think... I don't. I don't see how. I don't get it. It doesn't work with Portuguese man wars like that. I researched. So like, <laughs> <laughs> Have you been back to Spain in the water? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're like, oh wait, yeah. you said you got stung more than once. Well, no, that I got like. And it was a staph infection, so I got staph infections more than once. Can they are they reoccurring? No, it's just like everybody has staph on their body, but it's really just if like you're prone to getting these infections. The other one was from a spider bite. Holy cow! What? I know. In New York. In LA. <laughs> what kind of spider? I don't know. <laughs> Not a good one. Not a friendly one. Does it? Does your body get more immune to staff or less? I haven't had anything in a while, but I've been like careful as I get older. Like, so what I mean, since you had it, are you more prone or less? Like, does your body have a, like super resistance now or? I'm not sure. I hope so. <laughs> Cause I, uh, I mean, I had, um, I had shingles. Really? It was like the fresh, my, <laughs> to talk about timing, it was my um, spring break of my freshman year in college. And uh, it was like on the um, below my armpit, and I thought it was acne. And I was like, "Man, this really hurts." But I was home. I was home for the whole week. It's the worst pain I've ever felt in my life, and it feels like somebody has a knife and they're stabbing you from the inside of your body out. I couldn't even sleep, and so I had to tell my mom, I "Was like, I, I'm dying, and you need, I need to go to the hospital." And the doctor was like, you have shingles. I've never seen this before. It's usually with like people who are like... Older. Yeah, 60 or 70. And I was like, look, man, I'm not here to break any records. You just need to help me. And then he gave me like this ointment and then some pills. And it's funny, though, when I meet people who have like, you know, in like a nursing home or something, and they talk about shingles, and they're like, oh, me, me, I, I had shingles too, I had shingles too. <laughs> yeah, but that was rough. So I, and I hear from different... Uh, I've heard that I'm more prone to get it, but then I also hear that I'm less prone because my body's experienced before. That's the thing. I don't know if they know for sure. And also, like, there's all the environmental factors. Yeah. We're never really <laughs> sure. I don't know. Hmm. Is it, um, like, were you stressed? Because some. Isn't like a stress thing too, they say? Yeah, they say that, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know what caused it, obviously. But anytime I have some sort of like um, rash on my body, I'm like, oh my God, it's, it's coming back. But thankfully, I've never... Well, I never had the chicken box growing up, but I had really? that, which obviously is a form of chicken pox. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, worse, worse pain. Um, chicken but, pox is horrible. Thankfully, I've never had like to pass a kidney stone or anything like that, or I never had wisdom teeth or. You didn't. No, have you? Yeah, I had them all four. Pretty, pretty, um, pretty not fun. 
It was not fun. <laughs> I remember though, after I got them out, I wanted to get frozen yogurt as everybody does. Right. Yeah. But, and my mom took me, but I wanted to get out and taste them because I was still on drugs. And my mom started being like, you should not be out in public with gauze and like blood. <laughs> I was like, okay, go taste them. <laughs> so then I go to the yogurt place. They're all looking at me like I'm a crazy person and I taste like four of them with <laughs> gauze coming out of my what mouth. What was the plan? That you were going to taste it and then, then your mom was going to buy it and then you would like retreat to like some cave and so you eat privacy? <laughs> eating in the car like, <laughs> well this is good blood coming <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm thankful I dodged that bullet that's lucky so wait a minute so how did your mom discover yoga my mom had a friend Kat who was her teacher she like met her and then yeah I think that she started like people were doing it in Los Angeles but it, not that many and she had like a few friends who were doing it and she loved it she still practices every day and she meditates every day that's right you were saying uh somebody does somebody does meditates for like three hours in the morning my mom's boyfriend <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> he meditates three hours a day i think my brain would wander right yeah, have you think about like my grocery lists or Quasars or something. Quasars. <laughs> no, I, but I love like the 20 minutes. 20 minutes for me is like doable and I can do that daily and feel good. Like much longer, it's hard to carve out that much time in your day. So remember the, the exercise that we did when we, 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 we had to look at each other. So I actually, um, I tried to do that with a group of people. You and did? I said, I said, I know this is going to be really funky, but you have to trust me and um, you have to commit. So I had, so we were all, we, we kind of, I paired everybody up and I said, you know, look into each other's face and try to, pro, like, I'm asking you to project something, project, like, project something positive and think of the words love and kindness and empathy and whatever that means to you, because you're sharing that with the person in front of you. And then I said, I'm going to make it easier for you and look at the left eye, because that's what, that's yeah, what that's yeah, like. yeah. And, and so I said, you know, I'll, I'll time it so you won't have to do it forever. And so these are my friends, and they're like, oh, fuck yourself, what are we doing? I said, so, that, so then, I, it wasn't very long. I did it for like maybe five minutes. I said, and then there were some giggles, but overall, I, some people were really into it. And then, so what about, so uh, a girl was like, oh man, that was just, it was just like the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I think, oh, probably because you just made it hard. <laughs> it, it's not hard you're just you're just sitting and you're looking right so it's something that we do all the time yeah and whatever weight that you put on it that that's that's you so yeah i just i couldn't help but like laugh i said i know that's easy it's easy to laugh it's easy because you're you're not committing i said i'm not judging you but you you know you're not you didn't commit to it so you didn't do it so you failed nice <laughs> <laughs> but it is a hard thing but it's, if you but to do it is such a reward it's such a cool exercise it's such a cool exercise. I felt like when we did it that time, like I got like the, you know, like view from above or I was looking down at myself, yeah. was looking down at us. It was really something else. Do you think that, because what after, after, I mean, after I did my little social experiment, do you think you need to do everything else before that rather than kind of slip into it? So I went to another one of Biet's 
um, it wasn't like a workshop. It was at, um, it's, what's it called? Club Soda. Mm-hmm. And they do them once a year or something. Um, and so she did like some guided meditation and then she did that, but it was shorter. It was like a shorter guided meditation as an entry point into the looking, but it was different cause it was like, I don't know, like more social in a way. It was like a lot of people who wanted to chat and I felt like that changed the dynamic a bit cause you have to be like, this is what we're doing. We're doing, you know, I, what do you mean? So like, unlike what we did, people were like talking to each other. And yeah. then like, oh, then like she blew a whistle and then you're like, okay. She was so funny. Cause it was like kind of about like drinking and sobriety and whatever. But then, and like not everybody in there was sober, of course, but like, she, or not, of course, not everybody was sober, but she like, she goes, when you talk after that, it's just like having like a drink. <laughs> like, it's like, hmm. <laughs> and she was trying to get everybody to be quiet. <laughs> started talking but I love her meditation as an entry point to get into it or meditation as an entry point to get into it I think that it's really hard just to sit there and like be grounded even I started doing this there started I am starting to do this therapy thing called I think it's called EMDR I keep getting the acronym wrong but it's like light therapy it's not DMT yeah <laughs> it's, it's great therapy DMX. like I go so I go it's so relaxing it's really soothing <laughs> LSD (laughs) no but it's like light therapy and even like before entering it it's like you want to make sure that you're grounded you know like I showed up late and it was all like my energy was frenetic and it was like okay let's get you grounded first you know I feel like grounding before anything is like helpful because it's just hard to settle in especially if it's oh yeah I I was thinking about this a lot how like in our lives we just kind of like throw ourselves into things right so the train's coming we just throw ourselves in so you know, um, you know, people who, you know, have to go to their desk for work, they just like run in, right? And they have their Starbucks or whatever. They just plop down and they, you know, they just get into this mode of whatever pathology that their body knows, right? Yeah. So they, they scrunch up or whatever. So it's like, like if somebody hangs up on you, that's kind of jarring. Right? Yeah. So your body recoils. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? So, but I feel like we do that to ourselves so constantly, right? We're hanging up on our body so often where we just kind of throw ourselves into any, like a situation without like relaxing, exhaling, and just kind of like whoop and like going in. Completely. I think maybe because we're so focused on the outcomes, right? Yeah. And on like getting things done, you know, like that's why... Again, like Amy Matthews, The Breathing Project, it's literally a year on the bones and then a year on the muscles. And it's like, we tend to just look at the thing that we can see or that we want results from, like abs or like whatever, <laughs> you know? I want to look like a rock, bro. <laughs> like, and the funniest part about abs is they're so not functional. Like, yeah, it's good to have like a strong core, but like your ab things are like real superficial muscles. Like, it doesn't right. like too much. I remember, but like back in like... Um... You know, if you look at, like, old art and paintings, everybody has, like, a round belly. That was, like, a sign of wealth. Yeah. And if you were, like, you know, at certain kind of muscles, you were considered, like, a... Peasant. Yeah, a peasant <laughs> or a pauper or, like, a worker or something. Yeah, completely. Or, like, wrinkles, too, are funny. And, like, especially, like, Hellenistic sculpture. I have no idea why. I'm obsessed with Hellenistic sculpture. <laughs> 
was like, you know, that thing of like these idealized, I mean, there's like the Greek sculptures and the Roman sculptures, which are the copies of the Greek sculptures a lot of the time. But it's like, in the Hellenistic times, they were doing a lot of imagery of like these peasants and paupers and like drunks and like... Right. It's the best. Like, why? We don't really know. So what do you think about when you're, uh, before you teach? Does you, do you go to a certain place? Or do you have a certain agenda? Or are you just kind of, uh, you're just kind of like, all right, this, you know, I'm tired. I'm going to be tired. That's a good question. I think I just, when I first started teaching. Okay, so I'll qualify this. So sometimes I feel like certain teachers have to put on like teacher like a teacher like a teacher coat mm -hmm. which is fine that's you know whatever you want to do to function whatever it is you do and then they remove that coat and they kind of exhale and then they kind of be who they are um and i can admit for i feel like for you it's just like when i when the, the classes i've taken with you you're just you're maybe like a like a like a souped up version of maybe how you are in in like day to day life like a better like not a better but like a bigger version. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think like when I teach, I just focus, like really focus, <laughs> and watch everything and try to pay attention as much as I can. And that's like how I feel like I go in, you know, like doing so I'm like this is like an hour like <laughs> no what about like in your in your art students as well same same um i'm probably more enthusiastic when i teach than i am in normal life or like i try to channel some like energy what i'm like in general is i try to balance out energy just like i don't know if it's like a libra thing or like what but if like somebody's really like quiet then I'll try to like it's the middle child it's the middle child thing it's like all of that you know so I feel like when I'm teaching art and when I'm teaching yoga it's like well if everybody's really beat and like tired then I should like get everybody excited <laughs> <laughs> and like same thing if people are like really I don't know uptight or like stressed that I'm like let's bring it down <laughs> you know so the, I, yeah the pleaser that's that's very uh, yeah it's very much in the uh, in the um, in the group dynamic of the of the middle child yeah did you ever have a rebellious phase yeah did you like mom I'm not doing yoga I'm doing whatever I want <laughs> no I, my parents didn't know about my rebellious phase I was very like I don't know, good at doing a bunch of things that they couldn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I got really rebellious when I was like 15, 16, 17. Then I got it out of my system for the most part by the time I was 17. And we're just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took these man of wars and I just put them on my body. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's tricky to grow up. I, I think it's harder now. Like, so many messages and kids are confused confused or and, and I, I imagine that they have such a sensory overload of, of so many things you know yeah. um, and what I've noticed is uh, people like children just their attention span is so small yeah they just want to move on but they're consuming so much information you know um, like my, my nieces 
they'll go beg to watch a show and they're watching it and then they'll be on a tablet like looking like um looking up the show on the internet so they're kind of they're digesting entertainment and art and information just very differently like like simulcasting and, and, and you know whether it's looking up the show as well as hearing it and uh, I guess their brain is multitasking but I question and maybe this is just like the old fogey in me like how much of that is like because the whole point for me of like what the things that I learned to love was that um, it kept my brain quiet you know whether it was a whether it was a painting or a song or yeah. or or anything a photograph it just it allowed me it allowed the silence um, but I, I feel like that's counterintuitive of young people now where they invite a whole lot of noise because it's so much information so much information although apparently kids are doing less drugs because of the dopamine <laughs> that they get when they look at their phones oh well that's true that's a good point isn't that strange huh. i know do you feel like they do less drugs no <laughs> no just less in general yeah completely because you know when you when you open up your phone and you go whether it's social media or even if you're like communicating with somebody else you're i mean technically that's like a virtual world so you may be in bed or at a cafe, but you're not where you physically are. Mm -hmm. You're not engaged. You're engaged in this other world. Yeah. So that's a trend not just for young people or young adults or everybody, I feel like, is doing that now. Yeah. I'm sure you've walked by a restaurant and you've seen five people and everybody's on their phone. Yeah. I mean, do you remember when, like, maybe it was like six years ago, somebody walked into, like, Michigan, I think, because they were on their cell phone? <laughs> <laughs> they were fine but I remember being like this isolated incident where I was like oh my god like that's the future that's gonna keep happening you know because it was like wander into the ocean we're just gonna have no idea where <laughs> we are looking at our map like you know yeah, yeah I, I think people are just kind of uh, just gonna like voluntarily check out into this thing and also so one thing I would th have been wondering about is what does that say about our the ecosystem of our of our of us emotionally yeah because like say this moment is becoming very uncomfortable right so most people well they'll get on their phone yeah right so you've probably witnessed people whether it's some sort of event or a social gathering or, or, or maybe in class I can't take this anymore you know uh, people are not being adjusted to learning how to be uncomfortable yeah completely and so they'll just kind of retreat to that that, that thing that right world. whether it's texting somebody or seeing how many likes they just received or whatever it is yeah. and then they can kind of dip back so yeah that is it is dopamine yeah like a rush and to also like the persona thing and like you know i can look back at my phone and be grounded in the fact that i have all these friends and, <laughs> you know 40 likes oh my god my man <laughs> Yeah, I mean, nobody posts, I mean, people are always posting like they're on the yacht, yacht right? Or yeah. I just did this, or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm at the screening. It's never like, uh, I just, you know, I just talked to my mom and she's doing really well. <laughs> like, I think that would be awesome. But, you know. Yeah, completely. 
So I want to circle back to your mom because I think this is very fascinating because I think we're all kind of, um, uh, regardless of our relationships to our moms, we're all kind of um, seedlings of them, you know? Yeah. Um, was she like a real like disciplinarian? No, not at all. Which, so how did she, what kind of nuggets did you learn from her? Because my mom, my mom would not allow me to make excuses. She really? just wouldn't, she just wouldn't do it. I just couldn't, um, you know, if I, if I stole something from the store, I had to, she'd march me to, you know, bring it back. And if I was sick, I'd still have to go to school. And she wasn't mad. She never got mad about it. And so that's what I find to this day very powerful. She didn't have to like raise her voice or just be angry. She was very, always compassionate and very sincere and sweet, but very strong. Um, you know, and again, you don't have to be aggressive to be strong. It's yeah. not something that I've it's always stayed with me. Yeah. I think my mom, did. she never disciplined me. I got in trouble one time and I got grounded from school because she thought I was doing too much. But she never... Too much installations? No. <laughs> I don't know what I was doing, like working at Cold Stones. <laughs> she made me stay home from school. But she was very nurturing. She wouldn't get mad much. She wouldn't really... It was like once in a blue moon she would get really angry, but very, very infrequently. And she just kind of would always let me do what I felt like I needed to do for myself. It was all about like taking care of yourself and like, you know. So that sounds pretty, that sounds, it sounds like you were pretty responsible as a, even at a, like a very early age, right? Yeah, I mean, neither of my parents were like strict. Like I kind of got to, you know, not raise myself completely. Like they were there, but like I had to learn my own lessons. Was it because you had other siblings and you felt like, okay, well, I'll just learn from their mistakes. I was the only rebellious one. <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of had to make my own mistakes. <laughs> but I figured it out, you know? <laughs> I figured it out on my own. You realized that the, uh, the leather jacket with the cut-off sleeves was like, okay, that's just a phase, you know, just whatever. Just <laughs> What did happen was I crashed my car, like not being bad or something, doing something bad. And then I had to make the money back for my car. And that was a good lesson. Oh, wow. Because I needed to like understand what work meant. And then like, no, but I really did like tell my, when it was too much and I felt like I was going off the deep end or like not okay, I'd be like, okay, you have to do something. So I like sent myself to Brazil to work at an orphanage so I could like get perspective. Wow, how long did you do that? A month. <laughs> what was that like? That was insane. That was actually the first time that I taught yoga. I was 17 and I didn't know how to teach yoga. I just had done yoga forever. And I went to this, it was like this town outside Fortaleza and I had to live behind like barbed wire or whatever because like they didn't think the neighborhood was safe at night. And we would go every day to this, like, I don't know what it was. It was like a school, a school, but an orphanage. Like, you know, some people lived there. Some people had their, um, had their homes that they could go back to. And 
I was trying to teach English, but I didn't really speak any Portuguese, and I tried to learn Portuguese, and I'm terrible. <laughs> so I just like, couldn't really handle, I couldn't handle Hey, Portuguese. you guys getting mats? <laughs> I'm gonna try something else here. something that I think I can figure out to do. And so I one day was like, can I teach yoga? And there was this giant like dance hall. It was probably, there. I think there were like 60 people in there. And nobody spoke English except like the three people I went there with. And they just started copying my movements. And I was like, there is something very universal about this. And this is really cool. Was it the kids of the orphanage or like everybody? It was, a, it was like, what, ages 7 to 17? Yeah, it was all the kids in the orphanage and then like the three people from the States who I did the program with. But it was like a very intense experience and I don't think I'll ever forget because there are a few things that you can do. I mean, you can do dance or whatever, but for everybody to be like breathing together and moving together and I have no idea what anybody's saying. Like That's amazing. Yeah. So has your teaching style changed from from that from from then to now? Yeah. I think my teaching style is always changing. <laughs> you know, because like you figure out what works and what doesn't, especially when it comes to the heat. Like I'll go mm -hmm. through phases where like I want to make the room really hot, and then I'm like, maybe this isn't work. You know, like you have to be sensitive to everything like the time right. of day the you can't be you can't be for your ego right nothing <clears throat> yeah and that is like always evolving because like we're humans you know <laughs> what <laughs> what is this <laughs> you know but it's like a constant negotiation of like even walking around the room has an effect <laughs> like you have to kind of be sensitive to all of these factors. Teaching is like, it's a very specific thing to do. You know, like to teach is literally like, I think just to help somebody get in touch with their own stuff. And so you have to get your stuff as out of the way as possible. Right. And I imagine you probably learn a lot while you teach. A lot. A lot, a lot. You know, and even like working with college kids and stuff, like I love that too, because it's such a sensitive time. It's like a time when you're like figuring out who you are. <laughs> right, I'm sure, and, and, and so I work with young adults and I see a reflection of myself and what I see from them is just like ambition of like, I talk to like certain, um, so the age groups that I work with are 18 to 25. And they're all about, um, you know, I need, I need to make something of myself. I'm getting, I'm getting older. That's awesome. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, you're like, it's fine. It's natural. You feel this way that you feel like, you know, that you're, you know, air quotes, sure. getting old, but like, it's fine. Like I'm challenging you to say, relax, exhale. Like, yeah, maybe like you, you can feel that, but maybe you feel something else. Like yeah. maybe like. Okay, so let's say you, you typically study or um, you think about like the things you want to invest in or whatever it may be. Okay, so maybe you do something that you've never done before. Yeah. Like maybe, have you been to the cloisters? Maybe you do that. I love so, and you can open your eyes to something. I know 
when I was your age, I've never said this phrase though. When I was your age, <laughs> yeah. I was so singular of like, well, why would I do that? It has nothing to do with what I'm working on. Fuck that. It's a waste of time. It'll only be a waste of time if you allow it to be a waste of time. Maybe you can find something. That's the whole point of what I learned and I had to learn the hard way was the whole point of life is to be surprised. Yeah. And when you remove that, that's when you've got like the arched back and like yeah. the guy at the end of that bar. I'm like, oh, I would have, should have, could have. Because there's no surprise with him anymore. And you'll, and that's the difference. Like it's a difference that I see when the people that I meet, the people that I'm attracted to who are full of surprises and who can surprise me. And that is the key. And I, that, that's like an, em, an endless reservoir that you can always tap into. And, and to refill that, do something different. Yeah, completely. I think one of the most curious people I've ever met, um, her name was Madeline Gins. And I used to teach her yoga. I don't know why, when you were talking, I just started thinking about her. Do you know the artist Arakawa? No, wait. No. He was like a Japanese artist. He passed some years ago. But they invented this idea um, called reversible destiny, which is basically like the belief that you can reverse your destiny. Um, and you, like, he wanted to use architectural means to do so. So they would create these like fun houses where your idea of your, uh, your scale in space was like turned on its head. And so you're always kind of guessing <laughs> and like your sensory experience was so confused that you had to be on your toes or awake or aware and it's amazing I mean she actually believed that she wouldn't die and when I was teaching her she didn't tell me that she had cancer and so she passed away I guess a few years back but until the end like she fully believed that you just have no idea like wow you know it's it's an extreme version, but it's kind of amazing. What's your concept of death? Um, I guess... So I haven't... I've had like near-death weird situations, like well, the mail evidently, or... yeah. We got in a hot air balloon accident when I was a kid, too. And my whole family <laughs> almost died in a hot air balloon accident. Jeez. That was very extreme. It sounds like it's made up. It was life, so crazy. Life is, your life is like the first season of Chips. Like, all these crazy things are happening. <laughs> but my mom actually had a near-death experience um, where she, when she was having my older sister, they put like the anesthesia in the wrong place or too much anesthesia or something. And she stopped breathing for X amount of time. And they said it was four or five minutes, but I don't know if it could have been that long. But she said that she stopped um, being able to move, but she could still hear. And they always say, like, hearing is the last thing to go. And apparently she tried to move her pinky, and that's when they said that she was seizuring. And, like, I mean, she was okay, and my sister was okay. Everybody was fine. But she, all, she said she saw the light and all of those, like, oh. you know, things everybody talks about. So I don't know, but I believe in like energy and all that kind of I stuff. I mean, does it, does it, does it scare you? Like when you think about your former student, is that something that brings you sadness or is it something that makes you, it, do you, do you go to a place of, of joy and freedom? It's funny because my first memory is death. So I feel like it's always been something that's kind of like central to my 
way of seeing the world in general. Like, my first memory is literally my aunt passing away because she had wow. this disease called scleroderma, which is a very crazy disease. Maybe this is why I'm obsessed with bone. Like, it's this crazy disease where it's like hardening. Uh, they call it hardening of the skin, but like they're learning more about it. Johns Hopkins doing amazing research, but they didn't know what it was for the longest time. And she was like improperly diagnosed. They gave her all these terrible medications that destroyed her system. But basically it's just like your bone hardens, your skin gets tough and brittle and like you'll lose fingers and your it's autoimmune. So your system kind of shuts down. Um, but I had a friend who had it for like 15 years or something like that, 10 or 15 years. Um, but that's my first memory is watching Your aunt her. had that. Yeah, my aunt. aunt had it. So my first memory is watching her deform. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I feel like it can be a beautiful thing. Like my grandmother, who I look exactly like, like it's kind of eerie. She lost everybody. Like she lost four kids. Her husband, her husband lost four siblings. Yeah. So she was always like death was a part of her life. And by the end, she lived till she was 89. And she just goes like, she had cancer. But she was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. She could have, you know, like done chemo and all of that. But she was like, I've done this long enough. Like, it's time. And so she just like didn't eat for three weeks. Jeez. Except like ice chips. She loved ice chips. I mean, she couldn't drink water either. But, um, but she, like, I watched her pass away in the most beautiful way I've ever seen anybody pass away. And that, like, that made me feel differently about death, too. Like, I struggle with it when it's, like, younger people and it's sudden and all of that. But a death like that, like, it was kind of magical. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think if, uh, I mean, in concept, I, I think it is a beautiful thing. I think just emotionally, the way humans are wired, I think it's just something that's incredibly sad for a lot of people, unless you can make that connection, like to that example that, um, you know, it's just the end of a chapter, w whatever your belief is, right? Yeah. Whatever it, whatever you believe that, that the happens after death it's that living in this meat facility is just one chapter yeah and then we go on to something else but i think that's great in theory it's very difficult for because we're not organized at least in the western culture we're not organized that way it's mm. you know we see all these ads about like all these pharmaceutical medications of like make yourself look younger you can start uh I saw this one recently about like you could clear up your acne, but you could have a heart attack. <laughs> oh, that's that's okay. That, that's that's fair terrible. Enough. That's fair enough for me. <laughs> but honestly, even how cemeteries used to be in the center of cities, you know, and then like over time, like I mean, also because of disease and sickness, but we've like literally marginalized cemeteries. It's like we put death on the outside of our community. Like, right. It's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's almost impossible for anybody to totally wrap their brain around, <laughs> like, but I've never felt that feel. Well, also, she was saying, like, 
this is my time. This is what I want. I don't want you to, you know? And I think that's a very different thing than like, I mean, obviously it's hard. It's all going to be hard, but. As a, yeah, but as opposed to, uh, I get the winning lottery ticket. Come on, I got to live. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that's so painful to watch. Or like people, like kids, like. So I ask, uh, um, two questions of everybody that comes on the show. Mm -hmm. So the first one would be is, okay, so if you had a time machine and you can go back to your the yourself, the the twenty year old version of yourself, what would you what would you tell Laura? <laughs> By the way, in in kind of weird, do most people pronounce mispronounce your name. Yes. I, okay. It's a hard one. It's my parents named me after like Doctor Zhivago. <laughs> <laughs> So they just decided not to put the U. Yeah, they didn't. Well, my mom grew up in Philly, and she wanted to spell it L-A-U-R-A and then pronounce it Laura, which had been so, that would have been like a nightmare. Um, but living in L.A. at the time, she was like, her friends all said, you can't have the U, otherwise everybody will be confused. What? L-A-U-R-A is Laura on the West Coast. Oh. <laughs> Oh okay, you but know? but 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 the way yours looks, it's looks uh, like Lara. Right? I know like, that like, on the East Coast. Oh, oh it's like really Houston and Houston. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. Right. I had somebody on the show with your first name, and she was very specific. You're like, my name is Lara. I'm like, got it. Got it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's so confusing. Anyway, I interrupted myself. So <laughs> so I would tell myself. Probably just that you don't have to run so fast and you're not really going anywhere. Because <laughs> when I was like early 20s, or like I was on a treadmill going nowhere fast, like nonstop movement. And I feel like. What do you think was driving you? Anxiety, probably. <laughs> like, or just feeling like I needed to get more done and like win some game. Like, <laughs> what game? <laughs> Just after the hot air balloon incident? Yep, yep. Okay. Maybe that was it. Maybe that. Just running away from Man of Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so, to slow down. To slow down. And enjoy. <laughs> I think that's universal advice. Yeah. Um, what is happiness to you right now? Hmm. I think that thing, like that flow thing, where it's like, and I've been practicing this as much as I can. Setting my expectations up for myself where I can like have the time and the space and the energy to actually do something and like be in it fully versus like feel like packing five things into a day versus ten. Where I can actually like move through it and enjoy my life. <laughs> Enjoy your life. Yeah. Yes. You live in New York. <laughs> you know, and I feel like it's like even cutting out like a few things that I can do later. Like just setting more reasonable expectations makes me happy. Self-care. Self-care is big. And sleep. I love sleep. I've been having this issue lately. Maybe, um, I, I, I can't stay awake. I can go to bed, no problem. But I wake up really... It's like my body's like, You're, it's time to go. I'm like, oh, I'd like to not go. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't know what to do. Like, I don't... I've been trying to drink tea and... Going to bed is not an issue. I just want to... Stay asleep. Stay asleep, yeah. Do you meditate? I, not before I go to bed. I do it when I wake up. Maybe if we tried that in the middle of the night. Is it like early when you wake up or in the middle? It's... No, no, no. Like, I've been get Like, today I got up at like 6.30. Really? And I don't have to. And it's Saturday. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have to get up that early today. But, like, my body's just kind of ready. Like... It's ready, so. Do you get up that early the other days? Um, sometimes. Most of the times, yeah. Because my thing is, like, the rhythm. And, like, if I'm used to getting up at a certain time, then my body will get up at that time. Right. And then it's hard to regulate. Because huh. bodies love regular Right. Sleep. It's like patterns, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But then it's like you don't want to not wake up the other <laughs> days early when you have to I'll just wake up when I have to wake up really early and just pound like a fifth of vodka and just lay there and, <laughs> <laughs> and then fall back to sleep for a few minutes <laughs> and then it'll be like 6.30 at night and then we're ready to go um, Laura thank you so much for doing this thank and you. I have to say that um, we were speaking of you know how you know our visuals affect us um that when I see you, when I think of you, I it's like dopamine because you are such a positive force and influence to me that when I think of you, I think of positive things. I think it's it's like this adrenaline rush for me because I it motivates me to think of other things that are positive and it becomes infectious. So I wanted to say on you know on on the show that I I'm truly grateful for you. Same here. Thank you. So, um, sweet listeners, thank you for uh, for listening. Oh, where can people find you uh, for your website? LaraSaget.com. L-A-R-A-S-A-G-E-T. Don't put the U in. No, you. Don't, don't <laughs> sweet listeners, thank you for, as always, for listening. Uh, Bodhisattva, go out and do good in the world. Wind. Thank you all. Also younger than the sun. Yeah, the bonnie boat was one as we sail into the mystic. Oh, I can now hear the sailors cry. Smell the sea and feel the sky. Let your soul and spirit fly into the mystic. Where that foghorn blows I will be coming home mm-hmm. And when the foghorn blows I want to hear it I don't have the fear That I want to rock your gypsy soul Just like way back the days of old, yeah, magnificently we will fold into the best thing.
that foghorn blows You know I will be coming home Yeah, when that foghorn whistle blows I gotta hear it I don't have to fear it And I wanna rock on gypsy soul Just like way back in the day Together we will fold into the mystic 